Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. Join us as we continue our study through the book of Acts, Luke's account of how the Holy Spirit breathed life into and empowered the early church to fulfill the Great Commission after Jesus' passion. All right, uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, everyone. Hey, I got a quick favor to ask. Um, so being right here, he leads our foundation ministry. So um, he was just sharing as we were praying for this, that they need mentor couples. So if you've been married for how much, 10 years or more? How, what's the, seven. seven years or more. If you've been married for seven years or more, we need you to help mentor couples. Our waiting list is growing of the number of couples who've just gotten married who say, hey, I want like a mentor couple to walk through for a couple years of marriage with me. So see Bingy or his wife, Kara, over here afterwards. If you've been married seven years or more and would love to mentor some newly married couples. Amen? Amen. We're going to Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, I don't know about you all, but hopefully you've had a time of uh, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, the ushering in of a new year, spend time with family, hopefully eating some good food before we enter this time of fasting this next week. Um, but hopefully you also got some little uh, R&R, some downtime away from work or from school or med school that you could just relax a little bit, maybe work on some things at home. Uh, for me personally, what I've been working on is a book. So I finished writing a book last year, submitted the publisher, so waiting to hear back from them, and I'm working on book number two. And it's a book that was really inspired um, by a conference I was teaching at. So I taught at Dr. Evans' pastor's conference in April of last year. Uh, Joel and a couple others were in the class live, and we had about 100 pastors from around the world who were also tuning in. It was my 20th year teaching the class. I started teaching the class back in 2001 and just felt like led, called, moved to really write a book. And so I began writing a book on how to develop sermon illustrations, analogies, and metaphors, similes. And I'm about 90% done. Uh, so on my days off, hopefully in January, I can finish the book and get it into a publisher uh, sometime this year. So I appreciate your prayers on that. But here's one of the things that uh, is great about illustrations that comes up every now and then. What you are preaching on for that Sunday, there's actually an illustration that's contemporary or living. And so today, this is the great benefit that we have is we're going to commission a family out of Bay City Fellowship who's going to go on the mission field. And so we're going to do that at the very end of our worship gathering today. And we're talking about today from Acts 13 and 14 about being a sending church. So how cool is that that we're actually sending out a couple today that they're going to the mission field to a very sensitive part of the world and to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And we as a church get to do that. Amen? Amen. So this is a living illustration of what we're talking about today. So today, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 13, and we will talk about what it means to be a sending church. What it means to be a sending church. Where did Ben go? Where's Ben Kelly? I don't see Ben Kelly, wherever he is. Ben Kelly, I, I ask you, please don't start crying at the 11 o'clock. All right, Ben, so don't start crying. You start crying, I will start crying. So please don't cry. Um, so what does it mean to be a sending church? So three or four months ago, we as elders, uh, global elders, so Tom Ball, Cypress, and Spring Branch, we voted, we sought the Lord, we discerned over a process of maybe like six or seven weeks about whether God has called this church, by City Fellowship, to be a sending church. And so we prayerfully decided, being led by the Lord, to be a sending church. Now you would think that every church in America, or also every church around the world, would read the Bible and say, Great Commission, Matthew 28, Acts 1-8, would say, hey, I think every church is called to be a sending church. But as we talked about it, uh, again, 
three, four, five, six months ago. Here's the concern. It's very easy to say, oh, yeah, we're sending church without looking at the commitments necessary to be a sending church, the things to be ready for, the things that we should be responsible for. So today, with your prayers, our message is called The Six Commitments of Ascending Church, and it's found in Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 13, and Acts 14. That's a lot of scripture to cover, but I will go uh, very fast and do the best that I can. But we will look at the six commitments of Ascending Church, that if Bay City Fellowship is going to be the sending church that God has called it to be, what do we have to commit to do? So first, in verse 19 of chapter 11, so Acts 11, 19. Acts eleven nineteen. we will find the first commitment. Acts eleven nineteen. What are the six commitments? First one is this. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So they all went north and northwest, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. So these early Christians went and they were told, hey, you shall be my witnesses, Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost, and yet they remain in Jerusalem, and it's persecution that causes them really to be ascending church, and they go north and northwest. But notice this, at the very end it says, and they spoke to no one the word, the gospel, to Jews alone. And so they discriminated against those who were non-Jews. Verse 20 says this, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks as well, preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse 20, it says that there were some that also proclaimed the good news to non-Jews, to Greek speakers, the Cyrenians and Cyprus, people from Cyprus, were preaching the gospel to those who were non-Jews, to the Greeks. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord, and the news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Look at 13.1, 13.1, Acts 13.1. Now there are prophets and teachers in Antioch, the uh, verse we just looked at, Barnabas was sent to Antioch, and the church that was there, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius the Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So notice what happens in Acts chapter 11. These disciples, these followers of Jesus Christ, they go to Antioch, to Cyprus, and, and to Phoenicia. And there they're preaching the gospel, first to the Jews, and then they preach to everybody. And then Antioch is another living illustration. When you think of Antioch, the one we're talking about today, think of the city of Houston. The reason why I say that is because Antioch, like the city of Houston, was an economic center. It was a trading city. It connected Asia to Europe, to the Middle East, to Africa. It was a city that connected the world economically. People would go through their travel and trade. It was an international city because people would come through there. There was a port city called Seleucia, just a little bit west of there, which would be equivalent to Galveston. So just like if you go on a cruise or ship something out of Galveston. So here was Antioch, a city much like Houston, Houston connects South America and Africa and Europe and then uh, Asia. It connects all those things because it's a port city. And because of that, we have become the most diverse city in America. Uh, I was asked by my pastor recently about if I love Houston, and I said I do. And he said, why? And I said, the reason why, and I was with him in the car. I said, the reason why, Dr. Evans, I said, if you had just stayed here one more night, 
You name the cultural restaurant you want to go to, and I can take you there. You want Ethiopian food? Got it. You want Middle Eastern food? Got it. You want Vietnamese food? Got it. You can have any kind of food in Houston because it's such a diverse city. And Antioch was the same way. It had Jews and Gentiles, Asians and Africans. It was a very diverse city. And this is what the disciples committed to. They committed to the church of Antioch to reaching their city, reaching their community. And that's why we see in Acts 13.1, this very diverse group of leaders. We see two Africans. We see Simeon and Lucius. Lucius is Cyrene. Simeon, who's called Niger. Niger means black. He's probably a black African. We see Manan, who's raised with Herod the Tetrarch. He's European, most like a Roman name. And then we have Barnabas and Saul, or Barnabas and Paul, who are Jews. So we have leading this church at Antioch in this very diverse city, two Africans, two Jews, and a European. And it's in this city that they reach out to their community. And then they also say, we want to be a sending church. So here's point number one. The first commitment, a sending church is committed to reaching their city and their world. Ascending church is committed to reaching their city and their world. But here's the problem with a lot of churches. Many churches fall to one extreme. We're committed to reaching our city or our neighborhood or greater Houston, saying we're going to plant churches and reach our cities and Southwest Side and Heights and Sharpstown. We're going to reach these areas and memorial. But they do nothing about the greater need around the world, about the people who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, I was particularly touched by this as I was studying this a little bit. Uh, AK, I don't know if you know this, but the two largest unreached people groups, uh, by number at least, by numbers in terms of churches and witnesses, is a part of India, and I can't remember remember the number of people there, and number two on that list is guess where? Japan. And then you have two elders here at Bayou City Fellowship of Spring Branch. One is Indian, and one is Japanese. And I found that very intriguing, that we've committed to be a sending church in the two areas in our world with the largest number of unreached people in terms of representing with a church, a part, a part of India and a part of Japan. And other churches are the exact opposite. They're committed to reaching the world. They send missionaries all around the world. But forget about the people in their own backyards. They'll send missionaries to Asia, but forget about the Asians that are there in their own community. They'll send missionaries in Mexico and Central America and South America, but neglect the uh, uh, Hispanics and Latinos that live in their own neighborhood. And so ascending churches committed to reaching their city and their world because evangelism and making disciples is their heartbeat. Wherever they are, they're going to make disciples. They're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the first commitment is ascending churches committed to reaching their city and their world. Secondly is this. Notice verse 23 of Acts 11. Acts 11, 23. Then when Barnabas arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them with all the resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And considerable numbers were added to the Lord. Look at verse 25. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, who we know as Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers of people. And the disciples there were first called Christians in Antioch. That word Christians means belonging to Christ or of Christ. And so we find that people are getting saved. They're trusting Jesus Christ. The church is growing. And I'm sure they have great worship services and great times like this. But rather than just saying, hey, we've got a great number of people now. He says, now Barnabas and Saul are now equipping them. Because Acts 4, 11 through 13 says the role of the leaders in the church isn't to do all the work of the ministry. 
Our job is to equip the saints, the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ to do the work of ministry. So here's number two. Ascending church is committed to equipping and training believers for ministry. And that's what Barnabas and Saul do. They equip these Christians. And that's why in verse thir- uh, chapter 13, we now see that they can be now sent out because they've trained up leaders. They've developed community group leaders. They've developed teachers. And so sending churches come into equipping and training believers for ministry. I was talking to someone before the nine o'clock worship gathering, and they said, hey, what's your like focus for 2022? What's your focus? You're going to change some stuff with the preaching, with the music, other stuff. Like, what are the big things? And I said, my focus is really going to be equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry and really developing that and training our staff and equipping our staff to do that as well. We want to really develop servant leaders for Jesus Christ so that when God says, send this person, we can keep sending people. So ascending church is committed to equipping and training believers for ministry. But notice this in verse 27 of chapter 11. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them was Agabus. Uh, One of them named Agabus stood up and indicated by the Spirit that there would definitely be a severe famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And to the extent that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for relief of the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And they did this, sending it with Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So here's this relatively new church. They have been really reached by the church in Jerusalem who was sent, again, because of persecution. But they hear about this famine to come. And what does it say here? It says... Uh, Verse 29, to the extent that any disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brothers and sisters living in Judea. So there's number three. Commitment number three, ascending church is committed to generous giving. Ascending church is committed to generous giving. Now, I know I just cussed in church by using the G word, but let me just elaborate this way. How many of you all for 2022 have resolved and decided, have committed that you want to grow closer to the Lord. You want God to have more of your heart. All right? Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where he says, where there is no thieves, there are no moth, there's no rust there. And he says, this is what you find in principle. So wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's the, here's, the, here's the principle there. Wherever you invest your money or wherever you invest whatever is valuable to you, this is what you're going to find. Your heart is naturally going to follow. And so if you give to kingdom work, like right here, they're given to relieve this church in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters in Judea. If you give to the things that are eternal, the things that matter, the matter of God, he says, what you're going to find is this that your heart is going to follow. You can go to all the Bible studies. You can listen to all the praise and worship music. You can worship in your car. You can go to all the great Bible conferences. Those are great. But he says, if you want your heart to follow, one of the ways you can do that is by being a generous giver. And here's the thing about Bayou City Fellowship. Uh, I desire that we would be an even more generous giving church. And that happens when you and I are generous givers to the work of God through Bayou City Fellowship. I've heard this before. People have said, hey, what's the number? Like we're going to get percentage of our budget. And I've heard in the past it was like 20%. And I would say, let's not limit ourselves. Let's be a generous church. Like if God has given us the ability to give 90% away, then we're shortchanging ourselves by giving 20%. 
Let's just say, God, as you allow, as we pay off debt, as people are generous and they give and we can send out more and more support, more and more. Let's just be a generous church. I don't know, maybe one day uh, the book I write is going to take off and I'm getting so many royalties that I'll just work for free. And we can say, let's, let's do that where all of our staff are like writing books and doing ministry and consulting that we can have zero given towards salary and benefits that we can just give 100% in generosity. Joel's like, nah, Icky, I don't know about that, man. I got a kid who's not in college yet, man. But a commitment is this. It's to be generous givers for the work of God. If you want God to have more of your heart, you want God to have more of your heart, could you buy that new boat or that new car, new stuff? Yes, nothing wrong with those things, but give and you'll find that your heart follows. Look at uh, Acts 13. So he says in verse one, now there were prophets and teachers in Antioch. He groups them like three and two. So there's Barnabas, Simeon and Lucius, who I think were the prophets, and Manan and Paul, who were the teachers in Antioch that were there. And again, Barnabas is a Jew. Simeon, who's called Niger, most likely a African. Lucius Cyrene, that's Africa. Manan, who's raised and brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, a Roman name, most likely a European, and Saul. Now notice what happens in verse 2. While they were serving the Lord and fasting, that word serving is the Greek word liturgeis, from which we get the English word liturgy. We don't know exactly what they were doing, but I'm imagining they were worshiping and they were praying and they were uh, exalting God. And perhaps they were uh, jamming in, in their car on the way to church, worshiping the Lord. They were serving the Lord. And he says, and they were fasting. They were fasting. So they were perhaps praying and worshiping and praising and fasting. And notice what happens in the middle of verse 2. The Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul apart from me for the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted, prayed, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now notice this. The reason why they were fasting and praying and serving, praising and praying and fasting wasn't a check the box. All right, gathered for worship. All right, fasted. Didn't eat dinner today. Prayed today. Read my Bible today. The desire is this, is intimacy. So here's the third commitment. Ascending church is, com- uh, I'm sorry, fourth commitment. Ascending church is committed to fasting and praying for the desired goal of intimacy with the Lord. That's the desire. Can I ask you this question? How many of y'all like, would love to hear from the Lord in 2022? Love to hear from the Lord about your direction, purpose, calling, parenting, life, everything, right? How many of y'all like, uh, boyfriends in here are dating a serious girlfriend and you would love to hear, is this the one I'm supposed to marry? would love to hear that. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to put pressure on y'all. But it's in this intimacy of saying, Lord, my need for physical food is less than my need for spiritual food for you. My desire for intake is not as great as my desire for intimacy. I'm willing to give up this physical need, food, for a greater spiritual need, to be intimate with you, to hear from you. Now, this is what fasting is not. Fasting is not a hunger strike saying, God, I'm not going to eat until you give me this. I'm not going to eat until you lead me. I'm not going to eat until you do this for me. That's, That's not a hunger strike. Fasting doesn't move the hand of God. It doesn't force the hand of God. Rather, it draws you closer to the heart of God. That's what fasting is. 
It's giving up a greater spiritual need or even a, I mean, a physical need or physical want for a greater spiritual need or greater spiritual want. And I don't know about you all, but I've got a lot of spiritual wants. There's a lot of things I need from the Lord. There's a lot of things I would even say I want from the Lord. Not just as pastor by City Fellowship, but as a follower of Jesus Christ that I need desperately from him. Now here's the thing. This week, we're fasting and praying. So tomorrow night, Monday night, from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m., we're going to gather in the third space in the kids' building for a time of prayer. We're going to have one of our pastors lead that time. We're going to do it again on Tuesday, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. We're just going to gather. We're going to pray. Same thing on Wednesday, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. One of our pastors will lead this. And finally, on the last night, I will lead us 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. So we're going to have a chance as a church to gather, to fast and pray, to serve the Lord and to hear from the Lord. Now, here's the thing. I want to just make mention of this. Uh, I know some, for some of you have mentioned to me, hey, I, I battle eating disorders and food is an issue for me. Fine. I, I understand that. Prayers for you on that. Sacrifice or give up something else then. And if it's going to be food, I would encourage you. If you've got some health issues, check with a doctor. If you've just gotten over COVID and you're so weak, I understand that. Fasting is probably not for you. But maybe it's something like this. Uh, for me, it's going to be food. I'm just going to do liquids only for like 24 hours for the next uh, week. And then on Friday, we're going to break the fast together. So on Friday, dinner time, break the fast as family, friends, couples, community groups. Maybe share maybe what God has spoken to you about, led you about during that week. But I'm also going to fast from social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm just going to get off that for the next week. And I know for some of you who are friends of mine on Facebook, it's my thing. Every morning, I wish happy birthday. Everyone has a birthday on that day. So if you have a birthday between January 2nd and 9th or 8th or whatever, sorry. Happy birthday early. <laughs> but I'm going to be off social media as well. Because for me, that's just a, a physical want, something I enjoy doing. Can I challenge the married couples in here? So all the people who are single or dating, you can close your ears on this one. 1 Corinthians 7 says to the married couples... That there's a time that you need to focus on hearing from the Lord. And so he said, during that time, Paul says, abstain from sexual intimacy. Amen? <laughs> Anybody else? Amen? So perhaps this week, however you choose, you say, God, here's a physical need or physical want I have. And I have a desire to grow closer to you, to be intimate with you, hear from you. I'm going to give up that physical want, that physical need for a greater spiritual need, for a greater spiritual want. And that's what Ascending Church is committed to doing. So again, please join us this week, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m., Monday through Thursday. We'll be in the third space for a time of prayer. For some of you, again, it may be fasting from sunup to sundown, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. For others, you may do it 24 hours, but please join us for that time. And then even if you're not able to, uh, while you are on your lunch break at work, and normally when you'd be eating lunch with coworkers or eating over a lunch meeting, spend that time in your car, in your cubicle, Open with the word of God, maybe your journal, and praying and seeking God during that time you'd normally be eating. So again, Ascending Church is committed to fasting and praying out of a heart of intimacy. Uh, look at 1423. 14.23. 14.23. Acts 14.23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting they entrust them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So as they're going out and planting these churches and starting these new churches, 
What happens is they're appointing elders to help shepherd and lead these churches. And what do they do? They don't just say, ah, you know, you're like a CEO guy and you're pretty smart and you're pretty gifted. Come be an elder. They pray and fast and discern God's will on who these leaders and elders should be. So again, Ascending Church is committed to fasting and praying. Look at Acts 13, verse 9. And notice again, he says, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, look at verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit led them. The Holy Spirit sent them. And verse 9 says this, but Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared at him. He's staring at this magician named Bar-Jesus, son of the Savior. And what Paul does in confronting him because he opposes the work, he's, he calls him a son of the devil with boldness. He says, you're full of deceit and fraud. You're the son of the devil. You're not a son of the Savior. You're not a son of Jesus. You're a son of the devil. But notice again, verse 9, full of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 13 and 14, if you could read 11, there's six mentions of being filled or led or sent by the Holy Spirit. So here's number five. The commitment ascending church is committed to being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Ascending church is committed to being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we see that in chapter 13. We see it in chapter 14 and even in chapter 11. In chapter 13, verses 16 through 41, Paul preaches a sermon to this group of Jews in a synagogue and he gives an Old Testament apologetic. Using the Old Testament, he points people to Jesus Christ. But then in chapter 14, he's amongst a Gentile, a non-Jewish audience, and he preaches a message filled with the Holy Spirit and powered by the Holy Spirit to this Gentile audience. But he doesn't start with the Old Testament. He makes it relevant to them. But again, all this ministry occurred as he was empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. And notice again in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 13, they sent out, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Paul. We don't know much about Lucius and Manan and Simeon. We don't know much about them, but I'm imagining that Barnabas and Saul are probably the most mature out of this group. And rather than saying, hey, send like some of the younger guys and some of the guys who are like less savvy and less mature, the Holy Spirit says, send the most mature, gifted ones out. And I don't know about you all, but my mind doesn't work that way, right? Most companies would say, let's send out the people, like, why would we send out our best? Let's keep our best. Let's keep our most mature. Let's keep our most gifted. I think that's how most churches think. But here, the Holy Spirit says, no, send out your most mature, the most gifted. And friends, I'm here to tell you this. I believe this that God is going to move on this church, by City Fellowship, and some of our leaders and community group leaders and others who you love dearly because they're so mature, so gifted, so wise. God is going to lead us as elders to say, no, send them out to start this new church. Send them out. Release them to be missionaries in Asia. Release them to be missionaries in North Africa, to the Middle East. Send them to Spain. And you're thinking, but, but they're like the executive vice president of this big company. They, they've been leading this community group for like 20 years. They're so mature. And God's going to say, no, they're the ones who've been set apart. And so churches are committed to sending, are led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. As I was doing research this week on that illustration book, I found this uh, as I was looking at other things written by other pastors and preachers. They said, 
Never use a contemporary illustration if you have to make it fit. Squeeze it into work, and if it doesn't really fit. And one example they gave was when Star Wars was at its height, and all these pastors and preachers, Tom, I don't know if you ever did this, you know, said, oh, the force, we have to have the force. And they would say the force and the Holy Spirit are not the same thing. Because the force is impersonal, while the Holy Spirit is personal. The Holy Spirit himself indwells every believer and empowers us and leads us and guides us and comforts us. But here's the thing. If you watch all the Star Wars movies like I have, you know that the force comes from midichlorians. Midichlorians are living beings that live inside the Jedis. And it's the midichlorians, a living being, that gives people the force. All right, y'all work with me on this one. And so it's the Holy Spirit, you all, who indwells every believer, who gives us the ability, the power to do ministry. And so if we're going to be ascending church, we have to be a church led and empowered by the third member of the Trinity, not a force, not impersonal, but a personal being, God himself who dwells in us. And the last commitment is this. So Paul preaches in Acts 13. He preaches a a, a sermon using the Old Testament to point people to Jesus. Some people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But look what happens in verse 50 of Acts 13. Acts 13, verse 50. But the Jews inside of the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their region Verse 51, but they shook off the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continued filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. There's that mention again, filled the Holy Spirit. Look at verse uh, 22 of chapter 14. As again, they experienced persecution. Strengthen the souls of the disciples, encourage them to continue the faith and saying, it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. So sending churches committed ministering in the face of opposition. You can even put persecution in there. A sending church isn't just going to send believers out when it's like smooth sailing. Everything works out. Even when we experience opposition and persecution in the family that we're sending out today, I'll let you all know who are watching online, we're going to cut the broadcast short. We pray for them because they're going to a country that's very sensitive, that they don't allow believers to come in as missionaries. And so we're going to cut the broadcast and not put it out publicly. So there where they're going, they may experience opposition from the government. They may experience opposition from their own neighbors. They may experience opposition from those that they go to school with and go to market with. And so as a church, we have to be committed to saying, you know what, we're not just going to send believers and saints from this church into areas where they're not going to face opposition and persecution, but a willingness to be committed to minister in the face of opposition. Forgot to mention this too. Uh, the, the couple that we're sending out, the family we're sending out today, uh, the husband is this. Because very often, this is how we tend to think. And I heard this from uh, A.R. Bernard. A.R. Bernard shared this one time. And hopefully, this is a challenge for us. Um, he said, Do you ever notice this? That when a church has like a clothing drive for missionaries, so we have missionaries that we've sent all around the world. And they say, hey, we have a need for clothing. We tend to give our leftover clothing, the clothes that we don't wear anymore, the clothes with holes in them now. And Aaron Bernard said, and now like they go out, these missionaries who've given their lives to being witnesses very often in areas of great persecution, and they're wearing our hand-me-down clothes. 
So he said, why don't we just send our best clothes to them? So they don't always have to ask for more clothes. Why don't we send them that nice Patagonia jacket instead of that knockoff Patagonia jacket we bought at Walmart <laughs> that we've worn for like 20 years now? And the mindset is there even with missionaries. We think this, that God needs the best and brightest working in companies in America and churches in America. And we send the people who just can't make it in churches here, who can't make it in the corporate world, the, the rejects we send to the mission field. That's a bad way to think, y'all. Because here again, Paul and Barnabas, the all-stars in the church at Antioch, all-stars in the kingdom, they're the ones that get sent out. And so the couple, the family we're sending out to the husband today, I found out this. They came at the very same time Terry and I came, about a year and a half, two years ago. And so we've been kind of journeying through this as they're being trained and equipped. We've been through this whole thing together. I found out this, that the husband and I went to the greatest college in the world. We went to the same college. You know what college that is? The same college attended by the late, great John Madden, Cal Poly. I kid y'all, I know, I'm biased. But get this, he is a rocket scientist. He really is a rocket scientist. He's working on rockets and satellites for Lockheed Martin and NASA. He's a rocket scientist. He could have a great career, continue to build rockets and satellites and sending all those things out. But like you, he was sitting one day and God began to pull on his heart and giving him a call. The Spirit began to move on his heart, began to call. And so let's send, as the Holy Spirit leads us, our best, our most mature, who could easily be very wealthy here in America, who could establish a name for themselves. But because the Holy Spirit says, you, go, that we as a church would say, they need to go. So here's the thing again. Uh, uh, sending churches committed to ministering in the face of opposition. And we saw that recently over the last 12 hours. If you're awake sometime between midnight and 1 o'clock, you know this, that yesterday it was 85 degrees. This family that we're sending out today, they had a little party, going away party. We went. It was 85 degrees in their backyard. I'm like sweating bullets. Armpits are like wet and stuff. It was just nasty. And actually, I see Kathleen Bean. Kathleen, I know you're heading out soon, too. Baylor grad proud. Um, and, and could, I'm sure, make a name for yourself here in America, yet you feel called to go overseas. So thank you for answering that call. And I'm sweating. But then this cold front came in. And the reason why we have opposition is this. Ephesians, which will go over in the fall, talks about two kingdoms. There are two invisible realms. One is known as the kingdom of light. One is known as the kingdom of darkness. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Two rival kingdoms that are odds with each other. And that's why Paul says later in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's why he says we're supposed to put on the full armor of God because being a witness for Jesus Christ here and abroad is spiritual warfare. Okay, I had two people nod their head and one say that this it is. Being a witness for Jesus Christ is you are in a spiritual battle. And that's why you will have opposition. And your wrestle is not against flesh and blood, your neighbors and the government and all those. There's a spiritual realm, a kingdom of darkness, that is opposing the kingdom of light. And you don't believe me that these two invisible realms are at odds with each other having visible consequences, but we saw it happen at one o'clock this morning that here's an invisible realm, warm, moist gulf air that gets hit by this Arctic blast, this invisible realm from up north. And where they collided, we saw rain. Up north, we saw some sleet and some snow. 
Because two invisible realms have conflicted with each other. And that's why as missionaries, as witnesses for Jesus Christ, both here and abroad, we will experience opposition. And you all in the corporate world know that. You all in the business world know that. As you come up with your business plans and marketing plans for 2022, even though your ExxonMobil may have this market share, how we're going to take over more, how David Weekly is going to take over more, you have other companies fighting you. They want to take your customers. Amen? And in this world, there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of light, our head is Jesus Christ. The kingdom of darkness is the God of this world. And so you and I will experience opposition and persecution. And my friends, that's why, and I I really want to do this. Elders, please hold me to this. We, We got to put up a wall with all the missionaries that we're sending around the world so that we can pray for them on a regular basis. We we have to, because we have to be praying for them because they're going through often, very often, the front lines of spiritual warfare. We undergird them and protect them through prayer. So Ascending Church is committed to ministering in the face of opposition. Let me read these for us again as I conclude. Sending Church is committed to reaching their city and their world. Sending Church is committed to equipping and training believers for ministry. Sending Church is committed to the generous giving. Sending Church is committed to fasting and praying, to intimacy with God, to hearing from the Lord, the Holy Spirit. Sending Church is committed to being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Sending Church is committed to ministering in the face of opposition. Here's a big idea, big idea for today. We're Christ-sent witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is Paul's first missionary journey. It's only two chapters, Acts 13 and 14. But it it reads very quickly, but it took two years. They covered about 1,400 miles. But they were sent out by the church in Antioch, a church very similar to the church in Houston. Traveled 1,400 miles and came back. Because we're Christ-sent witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um... I went on a mission trip to South Africa about five, six years ago. And I went to an area known as Ladysmith. If you love African music, you know the, the group's name, Ladysmith Black Mombazo. They're from Ladysmith. We're in these very rural villages in Ladysmith. Many of these villages, these homes, had no running water. Uh, they had dirt floors, with maybe like a rug, area rug on a dirt floor. No central heating, no central cooling. They still use like little fires to warm the house, open the windows to cool the house. But as we were there planting what we call trench gardens, as we did most of the day, uh, we plant trench gardens. And so the ground is very hard. And so we would dig up the hard ground, about a foot and a half, maybe a foot. And then we put some good soil in there. And then we plant some crops, some vegetables, so they could have fresh vegetables in these communities. We did that from morning to about 4 o'clock. And then from 4 to about 6 in the evening, afternoon, we do vacation Bible school with the kids and family. So we come and do games and have the kids come. And we share the good news. Or we go door to door and bring food and the good news. We pray for people who are sick and we share the good news of Jesus Christ. We saw kids come to faith in Jesus Christ. But here's something I noticed that in these very impoverished areas, no running water, dirt floors, no heating, no AC. I looked around and the men and the women and some of the teenagers had cell phones. Blew me away. Cell phones. 
There are roughly 7 billion people in this world. Of that 7 billion uh, population, 80% of the world owns a cell phone. Did you know that? Even with like catastrophic like mass poverty, 80% of the world owns cell phones. And if you include landlines and business lines, 90% of the world has access to a telephone. 90% of the world. And so I asked like one person, I'm like, hey, like, where do, you, where do you get a cell phone? Like, I look around, there's like no like AT&T store, no Apple store. Like, where do you get a cell phone? They have a little corner store. And the two things they had at this little corner store, they had all the Coca-Cola products and they had cell phones. And then the lady said to me, look, and we're in this little valley. She said, look along the mountain ridge. And I'm looking around this mountain ridge and I see cell phone tower, cell phone tower, cell phone tower, cell phone tower. And so these companies, these giant cell phone companies came in. 80% of the world, 80% of the population owns a cell phone and built these massive cell towers and sold these cell phones even in areas with no running water, dirt floors, no central heating and cooling. They have cell phones. I got back from my trip to South Africa. I had several of the people we ministered to add me as a friend on Facebook because they have the Facebook app. And I still try to I keep in touch with them. No running water, dirt floors, no AC, cell phones. Because these companies evangelized. They wanted cell phone technology to spread. Now here's a question. Cell phone technology, cell phones, have they helped your life? Anybody helped your life? But have they also like kind of jacked up your life as well? Right? Your boss can call you anytime, text you anytime, right? People can reach you wherever. They've made your life more busy and hurried. So owning a cell phone has changed your life for the better, but also for the worse. But here's my only question as I conclude. When Jesus Christ enters a person's life, does it make a person's life better? Yes or no? Yes. Amen, yes? yes? So if cell phone companies can build 4G towers and 5G towers around the world, even in areas with like no electricity, no running water, so that people's lives can be made better, but also a little bit worse, Man, shouldn't we as his ambassadors, as his witnesses, share the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ and be a sending church? Amen? Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, God, we are grateful uh, that you've called this church to be a sending church. And God, we would assume that every church would be a sending church, but sadly, God, we know that many churches have become almost like country clubs, keeping their members happy. So, Master, I pray for this church that we would be a church who reaches the greater Houston area, but also around the world. God, that we would be committed to being a church that fasts and prays, that praises you, that serves you, that ministers to you. And God, that we would be led by your Holy Spirit, God. And that God, we would be a generous giving church. One of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, generosity. That we would be a generous church, both individually as believers, but also as a church. God, would you help us to be good stewards so that we can be even more generous with your kingdom work, both here in greater Houston, but also around the world. And God, would we be a sending church that sends people both here across greater Houston, some of our best, some of our most mature, some of our most godly saints to plant churches, to be a witness, to be a gospel and kingdom outpost. And God, perhaps even in areas where Jesus Christ is not named yet. 
would we be ascending church? And God, even in the face of opposition, God, we know that as your kingdom grows and expands, as men and women, boys and girls, trust Jesus Christ and submit to his lordship, there's a rival kingdom that seeks to oppose your work. God, would you place a wall, a protection around us? Would you enable us, lead us to put on the full armor of God, to put on Jesus Christ every day? God, would you even now, through your spirit, be moving on the hearts of, of, our, of our elders, God, to lead us? God, who would you have us to send? To be moving on the hearts of individuals right now. Who are you calling to be sent? Who are you calling to be equipped and trained? Who are you calling to be in a season of discernment? Who are you calling, God, to be a generous giver? to support your work in greater Houston and also around the world. Holy Spirit, would you lead us? Would you empower us? God, thank you for calling this church to be ascending church. Would we not take that call flippantly or lightly, but be committed to these things that you've called us to be committed to. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people sin. Hey, you all, this is your time to respond. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up my left and right. If you have a prayer request, something that we can pray for, if you feel God moving on your heart now and something that we can pray for, the prayer team is available for you. Also on the app, if you have a prayer request, the elders are going to start back praying this Thursday at 6.15. We'd love to join you in prayer. So this is your time to respond to what God is doing, saying, and moving in your heart about. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch app to find community in the body of Christ.